Blog Talk Radio.
You're listening to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, August 26, 2010, with your host, Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonya Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com. Black Wall Street wants to send out a thank you, a huge thank you to all Summit 13 attendees. Uh, to all of you who joined us this weekend for the first Black Wall Street National Convention and Summit. We don't know how you could have missed Summit 13, but if you did, we're going to give you a review of the events, and we hope that some of the attendees will call in with their comments, questions, and concerns. We want we want you to we don't want you to think that Black Wall Street is resting. No, 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 we're not resting. We're just getting started. We've reached out to hundreds across the nation and are preparing for the second national convention to be held in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, next August. Black Wall Street is also preparing for Summit 14 to be held on Saturday, November 20th. So stay tuned uh, for announcements for that event. But in between all of that, Black Wall Street has a lot of work ahead of them. Our calling number is 347-326-9477. Our calling number is 347-326-9477. As always, our chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. Press the number one if you'd like to speak to one of our guests or if you have a comment. You can listen to us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN every Thursday evening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. You may also listen to a rebroadcast of CBBN on Blog Talk Radio at WJPCChicago.com. Our show airs every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on www.wjpcchicago.com. So let's get right to it. Let's bring on the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago and do this recap. Ron, how you feeling? I'm feeling fine, Sonia. How about yourself this uh, evening? I'm doing great, doing great. No rest yet, but I'm, I'm working on the next phase. What's going on with Black Wall Street? Well, Black Wall Street, like every summit, there is intense follow-up and monitoring what we did last three months ago and what we're going to do in the next three months. And this here, just being the first national summit of Black Wall Street, our focus have not just been what's happening in Chicago, but taking a broader view of what's happening around the nation as relates to Black Wall Street districts around the country as well as focusing our attention here in Chicago. And um, what happens is the intensity of work, the intensity of responsibility uh, that comes from resolutions, that comes from concerns, that comes from uh, frustrations, that comes from bringing all of that together to come up with some form of direction of which way Black Wall Street is going to go. And so we have a responsibility, again, to jump from a, a summit to action and to come up with some form of activities and implementation based on the actions of the summit. So we got work to do, Sonia. That's what's happening here, but I'm proud to be a part of what happens with Black Wall Street. I'd like to give a little story uh, maybe a couple of days ago. 
I was sitting out in front of the office just talking with someone, and I noticed that this uh, young brother was coming toward us. He was doing his strut, walking nice and proud. The closer he got, he looked at us. He threw his black power fist in the air upon approaching us and said, Black Wall Street, and kept on walking. Never seen this guy before in my life. Uh, and never seen him before. And so what tells me, and this here, this guy was maybe in his uh, mid-20s, I would say. Uh, so I thought to the point, I didn't, know, I didn't know who he was. We were in front of our office. So what that told me is that of all the summits, of all the activities, all the Black Wall Street districts, Everything that was happening around the nation regarding the Black Wall Street, I feel good that we normally do not have youth of that age in our summits. We do have them, but it's not in a large number. But when this black youth came, young man, came and gave us the Black Power uh, sign, instead of saying Black Power, he stated, shouted, Black Wall Street, and kept on walking. That's all he said. So that told me that we are making an impact when we don't even know it. And what made me feel good about it even more is that he felt good about saying it. I felt the the, the pride and the identification that he felt to just to shout it out, Black Wall Street. So sometimes when our hard work and our intensity and our frustrations to get things done, and we sometimes work on the level that we are, we're not seeing all the fruits of our labor. I'm saying today is that the fruit of our labor, talking about sustaining and increasing black businesses, has touched the younger generation. And I feel good about it. That gives me that extra drive that we have done more than what we realize we have done. Uh, but with that, what I do know we've done, you know, Chicago is on seven black Wall Street districts. Sonia, are you familiar with that? Is it seven now, Ron? No. I'm it is seven black Wall Street districts in the Chicago land area. We even jumped back, and that is including a representation from Gary, Indiana, has stepped back in the drawing board to be a Black Wall Street district. East 79th Street, West 79th Street, 47th Street, 43rd Street, uh, Madison, and, of course, the first one, 75th Street. So when Cheryl um, Jackson, the former president of the Chicago Urban League stated that Chicago would be the next Black Wall Street. She had no idea what Black Wall Street Chicago was about because she said that statement in March of uh, 2007. Black Wall Street did not start until May 2007. So without any dialogue, I think that that spirit of where we are now has made itself to connect with that that drive. 
And uh, even to the point now that you know that Cheryl Jackson, former president of the Chicago Urban League, want to take my place as chairman of Black Wall Street? Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, her and about seven other people want to take my place. But that's based on me stepping down to, as you may know, I don't know if the rest of our listeners know, based on me running for Alderman of the 17th Ward. So if I step up, there are people, are, uh, if I step down from the post, then there's our people here to step up. And it's a good feeling that people want to step up to the post that you have saying that it is worthy, it is a worthy cause, and they feel the dedication to want to associate themselves to drive the mission even further. So that's a good thing uh, based on the interest out there to want. Now, you know, it would be a shame if I said I'm stepping down and don't nobody even want to step up. <laughs> you know, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be shameful, but that's not what's going on. You bar- you barely mumbled the words, and there's already seven contenders in the ring. I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this election. Yeah, matter of fact, it will be one of those things where um, the boy is concerned, based on they want the stability to move on. They do have their favorites to step up to the plate. But I think it's going to be a good process of having Black Wall Street to have a open door process to its paid members, not just uh, um, Edward Vododiak can't just walk up and say I want to be the uh, chairman of Black Wall Street, but he have to be a paid member, and if you're a paid member, yes, you can become or have the opportunity to become the next chairman of Black Wall Street. So that's a growing process that Black Wall Street is moving ahead, and we have attracted interest, and not only through membership, but through leadership to move this mission forward even more. Uh, So we feel good about it. And with that, oh, wait a minute, pardon me. You know, you told me about that last couple of weeks ago, about doing stuff like that. No, I'm sorry. I caught me. <laughs> so um, we are growing. We are steadfast. We still got a lot of things to work out. The national summit that we had this past weekend gave us a more responsibility um, and a more association with people and a more focus in implementation of what we have to do. So we feel good about it. And then came, um, we were very honored with our kickoff to have uh, Jesse Jackson Sr. with us, and again, Cheryl Jackson, uh, and again, Reverend Al Sampson, uh, and a host of other friends. Some of the original members of Black Wall Street came by. So we had that social gathering that we networked, that we heard people's remarks, and uh, that was all in the spirit of kicking off this first national summit of Black Wall Street USA. And um, as we did so, we some of us got our rest that night, 
But we got right back up that next morning to kick off our formal and official Black Wall Street USA convention. Absolutely, absolutely. It doesn't seem like uh, three days was even enough, Ron, if we if we look back in retrospect at all the things that needed to be covered. It seemed like it needed to be 10 days. I want to add a little bit to uh, what you said uh, earlier about the young brother and about the buzz out there regarding Black Wall Street. Um, they, like the, they like the word Black Wall Street. It gives power, it gives feelings like saying I'm black and I'm proud. Um Keep hope alive. It, it's falling in line with all of those things that instills black pride. Uh, and with all, with all of those things said, you still have to have an understanding of what the agenda is. Stick to the agenda uh, and reach out to all across the land. And I want to I want to say something about uh, how far this is reaching. One of the things I got a call from uh, someone uh, more system, as a matter of fact, who is out of Texas. And he called to tell me, he said, I've never heard of this Black Wall Street. My niece in Chicago called me and told me about this. And he sent us a whole box of products to put in the goodie bag. Uh, but Saturday night, and we're going to talk about all the, we're going to do a wrap-up, everyone, uh, of what went on that weekend. But I just wanted to point out this, a couple of things. Uh, uh, one lady came to the movie screening up before they died that Saturday evening. Uh, we hosted that. Uh, regarding the uh, the story of the Tulsa race riot survivors. And uh, she said, I didn't know anything about Black Wall Street. My niece out in South Carolina called me. So that buzz is really strong. It's going, it's going all over the land. A uh, young man out of San Francisco, Howard Johnson, who's a movie producer, was here on Friday night. And we're going to talk about the welcome reception. He's out of San Francisco, and uh, we never met him before. He's uh, part of the youth initiative, which they've just started in San Francisco. That route that where they're talking about having the nas- next national convention is a new Black Wall Street district. So uh, when we say we're reaching out across Chicago, we really mean we're reaching out across the world. Uh, the gender, the gender is so big that. Uh, it could have went from 8.30 to 10.30, and we probably still would not have been finished. People wanted to speak. Uh, there just was not enough time. We do apologize for that, for everyone who had a concern to speak. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we host these summits every every quarter. But during that interim, there's still, still things going on with Black Wall Street. It's not that you should come to the summit and then everything stops. Uh, a lot of things, follow-up is necessary to implement these programs and these resolutions that take place during that time. You listen to Black Wall Street USA with host Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue. Let's talk about the welcome reception. It was, uh, how do they say, off the wall, as the kids say. Uh, the place was packed. It was full, wall to wall to wall. I'm getting calls, Ron, about feedback. And all the feedback has been great from each day. And uh, we're hoping that we have a few attendees call in this evening and uh, give us some feedback. But let's talk about the welcome reception a little bit more. What took place that evening, Ron? I may I may have lost Ron Carter. Are you there, Ron? Excuse me. Ron, are you there? Let's try it again. 
listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Ron, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you no? now. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, well, the welcome, we normally have a reception uh, before each summit. Uh, we In the past, we normally had those receptions that Friday before the Saturday. And then we kind of moved it back and headed a week before the Saturday. Then we headed two weeks before the Saturday. But this time, because of the national uh, summit, we packed it every three days. But the the I guess the the the, the welcome of Reverend Jackson, Jesse Jackson, to be present. The welcome of uh, Cheryl Jackson and Reverend Al uh, Sampson. Based on these are people that have led some groundbreaking uh, development in their own legacy of uh, serving and addressing black economics. So as we begin to, as we were growing over the last three years, sometimes people, we don't see the, the connection that we are touching but that was proving that Friday night where people did come out and they did pay honor to what this whole Black Wall Street is all about. Uh, I've definitely met some new faces this time. I met more new faces than we have bef uh, in the past because most of the time we have the normal support people, but a lot of people that was uh, with us this Friday were new. And I will even call um, Cheryl Jackson new, and I will call Reverend Jackson uh, new, because this is the first time they have actually been a part of our summit operations. So as they express their background, they express their uh, enthusiasm regarding Black Wall Street, they express the issues uh, basically coming from uh, Reverend Jackson, uh, what it relates to the whole, not only here in Chicago, but the nation, but he looked at the global uh, understanding as it relates to economics. And we were very grateful to have him part of our program, along with all the other guests that shared their ideas, shared their thoughts. And yes, we uh, we're in a social atmosphere, but the issues continue to come out, and we had to get into exactly what we were concerned about and what our agenda was about that Friday night. So I enjoyed myself, as usual, when we have our receptions, but there's uh, that networking, that collaboration of understanding from each other, uh, to kick off that this past National Black Wall Street Summit. So felt good about it, felt the uh, spirit, and the food was good, too. Uh, they laid that out very nice. Um, matter of fact, there was a little leftovers, and I don't know who took the last leftovers. It was in the refrigerator, but that's okay. So, yeah, we, we did um, uh, have that impact that we wanted and that we felt and a lot of times that impact is not planned. We just say, let's come. And it just so happens that the spirit of the people that really draws that attention and draws that 
that that field of we're moving ahead and we got a a a system here that makes us accountable to what we're doing so i i enjoyed friday night it was um um a good uh, reception, kickoff reception, as it always been. Uh, we did miss our uh, national chairman, uh, Michael Carter, that uh, he was not able to make it to this summit, but he is on his way putting the uh, agenda together for next year's summit as well. So Friday uh, reception was a delight. I enjoyed it uh, tremendously. Uh, as we began to move forward towards Saturday. I wanted to point out, too, you listen to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, and I'm Sonia Purdue. wanted to point out, too, uh, for those of you who missed it, uh, it was it was a, a highlight of the networking event for that weekend. They were packed wall-to-wall people from all types of organizations, uh, including Chicago's Black Business Network. I saw quite a few of my members here, uh, mm-hmm. and they gave us they gave us a lot of they gave me a lot of support, and I and I, I really really appreciate that. Um, also, wanted to say that um, don't think all of them could get up for Saturday morning, but it seemed like we had a whole different crowd for Saturday morning. Oh, yeah, we um, sure did. You sure it did. It was a whole, mm-hmm. whole different crowd for Saturday morning. And uh, although some people had paid for the entire weekend, it seemed like a, a people had a different interest. I guess, you know, a lot of people came to see Al Sampson uh, and Cheryl and uh, Reverend Jackson. And then Saturday all day they have they had different concerns. Let's talk about Saturday, Ron, and the uh, actual convention. Okay. Well, as normal, our conventions start off with the introduction, with the background, with the purpose, and where we are at uh, and where we come from. Uh, so we did kick it off with our regular introductions of who's uh, the participants at the summit, and then we moved on to Mr. Ernest Armstrong that not only addressed the the background of Black Wall Street, but he also went into his presentation as it relates to business development and looking at some key demonstrations among the participants of looking at uh, the business plan, uh, the marketing plan, and the in the vision of where one want to go as it relates to business. Uh, you had the audience, he had the audience participation as coming up on the uh, stage, the platform, uh, to demonstrate different ways that people need to look at developing their business. So Mr. Armstrong is a key representative uh, and a board second vice uh, president of Black Wall Street Chicago that keeps the agenda going, that keeps the interest going with his uh, outline of business development. So that continued with the, uh, uh, it, it continued from there where we went into the session that I believe, if I can get this right, um, we had a lot of changing of agendas due to the facility. 
because we initially wanted to have our workshops, but those workshops were cut short based on the change of the facility that made us cramp a whole bunch in uh, one particular uh, time. Uh, I believe that we started off talking about the um, uh, with the black contractors in the neighborhood where we had Alderman Fioretti uh, was um, kind of beating around a bush a little bit uh, regarding contract procurement as it relates to parity on the population of a particular ward. Well, we're looking at if a particular ward has a population of uh, 90% uh, Hispanic, then 90% Hispanics need to be working in their community with a true representation of the parity of the ward. And when it comes to uh, the black community, something has changed around whereby you have 90% of other people working in their particular ward. So we have to address that where we're going to have to have some accountability of parity of city contracts, whether they are um, performed by contracts or they're performed by employees or they're performed by vendorship, Wherever there is city service related, we want to have parity in the representation. So that was presented to Alderman Fioretti. He moved forward that he would have hearings as it relates to the uh, parity, and we will also move toward resolutions that the contract procurement in the city of Chicago right now represents a mere 8% of the population of black people when it's about 45%. So that's an alarming position that needs to be addressed. So we have set the parameter around contract procurement based on the the uh, the parity in representation of the population of that ward. Where again, it, if it's 90% black folks working in that particular, if it's 90% black folks that live in that ward, then we need to set a goal to have at least 90% of black people benefiting from the economic stability of improving their own ward. So Alderman Fioretti from the second ward, he did do a little jaw-jaking a little bit because he have his agenda. He is a candidate for mayor of the city of Chicago, and that was kind of rubbed out of him because of his broader um, uh, his broader statements regarding contract procurement, where he talked about taxes and he talked about accountability of elected officials. But we brought it back home to say, Alderman, all of that is good. But this particular session is talking about contract procurement on the with the power of the alderman to do the contract procurement opposed to resting it with the city of Chicago. So that was one session of the workshop that we went into. Um, we moved on to address uh, women in business, um, uh, but even prior to that, we had one particular uh, presentation by Rick McCoy, 
who is the uh, representative of the new Regal Theater. He has been pushing an agenda for a Black Wall Street campaign that is separate from Black Wall Street Chicago. So with that, there after he made the presentation of how black people need to be more conscious in their buying habits, he set out a Black Wall Street campaign that is supposed to have a more of a uh, inclusion and a corporation of marketing uh, and doing business with black people. So um, a resolution was, um, a motion was uh, uh, adopted and a resolution was passed to work real closely with Mr. Rick McGuire in addressing the marketing of Black Wall Street. Um, with that, uh, Sonia, we have, uh, do we have a guest on the line? Mr. General Parker, is he online with us to assist in this recap? Yes, he is. General Parker is the new chair of the Peoria, Peoria, Illinois, Black Wall Street District. And uh, let's bring him on the line, and then we'll share a little bit more about the uh, Saturday Summit. But we're here to get feedback on uh, what's, what went on this weekend. We want to hear from you. Our call number is 347-326-9477. General Parker, you're on the air with Ron Carter. Hey, how you doing, Sonia? Doing great, young man. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing just wonderful. Okay, welcome to the show, General Parker. I'm good, glad to, that you... Oh, we're doing fine. Glad that you was able to actually be there. You told us you was going to be there maybe about a month and a half ago when you stopped by the office, and it was a pleasure having you there. Um, you did a presentation regarding the overview of the of the cities in their planning. Uh, can you elaborate what exactly your uh, presentation was and where exactly do you think we need to go based on what you presented to the body? Well, it was a pleasure being there. And uh, the presentation that I dealt with uh, basically was about uh, minority business development itself and exactly where do you see yourself in your city's future plans. Each city in each metropolitan area around the country has a, a plan, whether it be Chicago's 2040 or Peoria's Heart of Peoria plan or or Oakland's plan um, for their uh, metropolitan, the, the Alameda County area, they have plans for where they want to see their city in the future, whether if it's with infrastructure, uh, whether it's with a, a business, whether it's with minority business. But um, I, I've come to find out throughout all those cities, they don't have uh, an exact plan for minority business development. So we have to take it upon ourselves to make sure that we are included in those plans. So that's the presentation that I presented this past weekend. I think Ron is having difficulty with his phone. This is Black Wall Street USA. Hello? Yeah. Oh, yeah. hello. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, uh, can you hear me? We can hear oh, you okay. Now. You're back on, you're back on the uh, air. Given the fact that here in Chicago, um, 
sell the 2040 plan on what Chicago is going to look like. We did see that and when people can go on, online, they can go to uh, Chicago 2040. There is a full section regarding planning for the Hispanic growth in the city of Chicago, but they did not have one for the African-American growth. Is that a fair planning assessment for city planners to focus a a a major chapter in their planning for the Hispanic population and not African Americans is or is African Americans more part of mainstream that you don't need no special planning for the year twenty forty? Uh can you address that? Well what what I got from that is and in line with the presentation that I gave uh, I said you have to make sure that you are included in those plans. Um, when I gave the presentation, I stressed that uh, being being minority businesses and being African American, uh, to have business development and make sure that it's successful and it has an impact, that there's a political side and there's a social side to this, as well as the business side. And mm-hmm. you got to make sure that each side takes care of its perspective duties okay and what it seems to me is that the hispanics made sure that their political side made sure that their business side was included in those plans for 2040 uh something that chicago has seemed to have failed to do so Mm. and when that happens you got to make sure that your social side you make sure you get your activists out there and they they get their grassroots efforts out there, and they make sure they get the votes, they make sure they get the signatures, they make sure they show up at city council, they make sure they show up at the Cook County Board and say, hey, we represent this area, we represent this amount of, of votes out there, and we want to be included in these plans. And looking at the plans that you have, you don't have any of that development going on in any of our areas, and we need to know why you don't. So. Well, let me ask you, well, can you address the plans for the Peoria Black Wall Street District? Uh, what do you foresee uh, that the Peoria District needs to be by a certain date and time? Well, Peoria is uh, unique in itself. <laughs> they they make plans all the time, and they never include minority businesses because uh, even if they don't, they don't get a lot of uh, static. Uh, about what goes on in Peoria and what they do and don't do. Uh, well, that was before I started getting on the scene. But uh, what we plan to do is, and we've been working in close proximity with the Chamber of Commerce, not the Black Chamber of Commerce, but the Chamber of Commerce, and we, we're instituting the Black Wall Street here in Peoria, and we have uh, Representative Gordon on board, and we have uh, City Council Member Clyde Gully because it's going to be in his district, and mm-hmm. we are trying to get the state of Illinois to uh, make a proclamation that uh, that part of MacArthur Highway would be considered Black Wall Street District. And Councilman uh, Gully is also is trying to make sure that that's included in the TIF district also, where there be tax uh, breaks for businesses that locate and minority businesses that locate right there on Black Wall Street. So y'all moving forward. Let me ask you, what is the percentage of blacks um, in uh, Peoria? It's about 30%. Oh, that's a very heavy uh, population that needs some heavy, very, very uh, uh, representation of black businesses. 
Um, do you see that the contract procurement, as I was talking about Chicago earlier, does it represent uh, 30% of the contract procurement with the city of uh, of Gary for blacks? Oh, no, it, it doesn't do that at all. As a matter of fact, we had a, uh, a black-owned engineering firm come to Peoria several years ago, back in 07, and uh, they were referred by uh, a federal contractor to uh, come to Peoria and build minority and women-owned firms to capacity so that when the sewer projects started letting out for uh, the bids, that they would have minority businesses that were able to do business with the city for that contract. But the city decided they were going to take that portion out of the contract because mm-hmm. they felt that their EOO department could do it, even though the previous five years the city had did zero business with minority contractors, four out of those five years. And the one year that they did do any business with minority contractors, they only did a half of 1%. Mm-hmm. So I had to sue the city on my own, and I won that uh, that lawsuit last year right. when I was running for mayor here in Peoria, even though I, that was unsuccessful. Uh, my bid for mayor, but uh, I was successful in suing the city. In was mm-hmm. uh, oh, that a class action suit or individual, or what type of suit was that? I had to go individually. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to get other minority contractors in on it, but uh, uh, mm-hmm. I guess at the time they couldn't see the vision, and that was another thing right. I spoke about in my presentation. You you got to have that vision. If you don't have a vision, then you need to get out of business and go find a job. But we're talking about um, entrepreneurship, we're talking about minority business development, we're talking about building wealth. Mm-hmm. And now, vision. now, you travel kind of regionally around the, uh, the United States, I understand, on a regular basis? Or is... uh, yeah, I do I do a lot of lobbying, and I, I, I do a lot of work for uh, uh, different organizations. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 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 in Chicago a lot. I'm in D.C. a lot. I'm in Springfield. So uh, mm-hmm. okay. So do based on your experiences of these other cities, is that a ref, uh, are they basically the same as Peoria in in Chicago when it comes to uh, the representation and parity to their population? Uh, you mean Peoria? Well, no, the other cities that you travel to as well, are they basically in the same position of Chicago and Peoria based on their contract procurement with those government agencies? Uh, no, um, St. Louis uh, St. Louis may be, but then again, we're still in the Midwest. But uh, when I'm out there in Chicago and in, and in Baltimore and those areas, uh, no, they, they have a lot of uh, black business development and make sure that uh, – Black contractors get their fair share of their uh, the contract that's let out. So mm-hmm. why that is, I don't know. But uh, well, I where do you see that? Um, what where do you see that Black Wall Street USA? Uh, what you how do you feel the direction that it should go, and what needs to happen immediately, based on the momentum that's starting to be kicking in about this Black Wall Street. What do you think the uh, nationally need to do, and what do you think the prospective uh, cities that have Black Wall Street what they should be focusing on? 
I think I mean as a whole, if that's possible. Nationally and, and the cities that are represented by Black Wall Street, I think the first thing we need to do is is like I said earlier, we need to make sure that we have all three legs that we need. We need our social leg, we need our political leg, and we need the business development leg. And we need to make sure that we got people in place that can take care and play their roles out respectively so that when uh, we have an issue that comes up, uh, we know that everybody is, is doing their part and we don't have to worry about that and that's taken care of. Evidently, uh, some people have dropped the ball along the way. Now, my understanding is you were a public uh, uh, elected official. Is that correct? Uh, no, I was a candidate. Oh, okay. My wife is a uh, – I was her campaign manager. I'm into politics real heavy, too. Uh, mm-hmm. I got her on the school board, and now I got her on the county board here in Peoria. So well, let me kind of talk about politics and economics. I don't know if you – during the uh, summit that you got a copy of South Street Journal newspaper? Yes. Okay. Now, as you as you as you may read through some of it, uh, myself being the chairman of Black Wall Street, and also I am a candidate for alderman here in Chicago for the 17th ward. Okay. Given that there is a uh, ooh, something normally supposed to happen to elected officials, they they change once they get elected. How do you see that you can, the community at large, can hold the elected officials accountable to a particular agenda? How can that happen, or do you see that, uh, you know, again, black elected officials, so happens they are black elected officials opposed to just an elected official? (laughs) So that extra responsibility, how do you see that, that accountability can come into play based on campaign promises and actual delivery of campaign promises. Well, we 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 basically have to do just that. We got to hold the elected officials accountable for the promises that they make. I mean, how but do you do that? How, how, how can one do that? How can a community do that? You show up at the polls and you vote them out, and you let them know that uh, we don't play that. That doesn't play here. But um, a lot of people, rather than rather than vote a, a black official out, they would rather just not even show up to the polls, okay? And we can't do that. We have to take an active role because if you don't have a plan for life, trust me, it's going to have a plan for you. See, and you're not sending a good message when, I mean, just like here in the 1st District, nobody ran against uh, the councilman at, at the last election, when they came up last year, but everybody complained about he did nothing for our, our, our community, you know, and everybody just, uh, everybody talked about what they wanted, but nobody stood up to the plate and nobody even showed up to vote. We had the lowest turn, vote, voter turnout in that area that, that we've ever had, I think. What was that percentage? Uh, it was like 8%. Oh, my gosh. 8%. 8% voter turnout? 8%. For the whole first district, you all need to go somewhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I never heard of such a low. I would thought that you may say, "Well, the lowest was 29 percent," but you jumped all the way down to eight percent voter turnout. So you contribute that to 
people being frustrated with the political system that they just don't care, or why would you? It's the apathy that people feel, you know, about the system. But that that's the wrong message to send. You need to let them know that, no, we're still here, and we don't like what you're doing. And if you don't do the job, we're going to vote you out. <laughs> mm-hmm. We may not want you, but we'll vote somebody else in, whoever it is, you know. Well, so you show up, and, and, and you don't even vote for him, but you vote for all the rest of them. But make sure he don't get the votes. But you gotta you got to send that signal that you're not doing the job because a lot of times when people don't run against people, you let them run on the polls, or, or you don't even show up to vote, and this person gets back in, they think that uh, they're really doing the job, <laughs> and they're not. Well, you kind of did not, uh, if I can be direct and say, when you – when I asked the question regarding how can people make the elected official accountable, you jumped from them getting elected to the next election. What is in between that can help keep an uh, elected official um, committed to the promises that they made? Well, a lot of times when elected officials don't don't keep their promises, um, I, I heard Alexi Giannoulis speak one time, and he was here in Peoria at Bradley University, and they had asked him that question when they were having their hearings on corruption in, uh, in, in, in government and ethics reform. Um, he said, well, when he first got in, uh, he found out the first six months that uh, it, it isn't so much so, uh, an air of corruption in the state of Illinois, so much as people want to get reelected. So what happens is when people get in the office and then people who, these special interest groups who have the money and they got the power, well, they know you got the vote. So they show up and they start to give you uh, uh, little perks, you know, uh, uh, things that come with the job or, or they take you to lunch or we got money for this program or for this project. And, and they basically, they, they, they buy the politician. So, uh, a lot of times these folks are so worried about getting reelected that uh, they'll do what the special interest groups want them to do instead of listening to the people that voted to get them in in the first place. So, well, you indicated that um, uh, being um, active politically and business-wise, uh, a scenario is that uh, that was presented to me that what happens many times in the black community is that the Black community economics is ran by ministers and social service and politicians opposed to other communities. The businesses in the community, the business agenda, is ran by uh, business people opposed to ministers, social service workers, and politicians. Right. How... Uh, is that a fair? I mean, and you was at the uh, the breakfast um, Sunday at the summit, right. and Reverend uh, Reverend L. Sampson indicated all the business ventures that he is doing. What happened in the black community that the business people, or we, is it because of lack, we don't have enough business people to run the business in our community? Or can you address this? Oh boy, you really want to get deep with it, don't you? <laughs> we got to. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, uh, 
I, I read a book by a young lady by Michelle Alexander, and it was called uh, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. And she, she goes deep in, into why the black community fell off and started doing the things that they do. And it had to do with it, the elite whites uh, making a, a undercast uh, class of people here, and uh, that was basically us. So what they what's happening is you get blacks fighting with poor whites and middle class whites, and they don't want to be us, so they try to make sure we stay on the bottom. So if they keep us fighting, the rich keep getting richer, and us poor folks keep getting poor. So well, let me ask you this here: some time ago, on a Chicago Black Business Network radio program, we raised the question. Were there some white men sitting in the boardroom conspiracing how to keep um, blacks in place? Uh, Sonia, can you rephrase that? Or is, is that it that we talked about a few months ago? Uh, we've talked about it off and on, and uh, I did bring up the fact that they have, there are people out there with full-time jobs to strategize. Uh, about what's going on. They have full pay, full-time, well-paid jobs to lay out the plans. When they're laying out the 2040 plan that does not include us, it is, it is not by mistake. None of these there plans are by mistake. These people have full-time, well-paid jobs to lay out strategies to keep themselves in power. And wouldn't you do the same thing? Of course you would. And that's what they do. Now, if you don't respond to what's going on, they have no reason to react or to care. So is it a question of it ain't nothing but business, or is it using race, or is it racism? Which one is it? Just dealing with business or using race as part of a business, or is it just plain old racism? What, what, well, what is it actually, or is it, it doesn't apply to none of it? I'm going to tell you, uh, at the breakfast, uh, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Brian Carter. I'm Sonia Perdue, and on the line with us now is the chair of uh, Black Wall Street Peoria, uh, General Parker. I want to thank you for joining us, too. And uh, at the national breakfast, for all of you who missed the convention, there was a national breakfast on uh, national prayer breakfast on Sunday, which uh, Reverend Al Sampson was the lead for that. It was over at the Chicago South Loop Hotel. And as you mentioned that, Ron, and I, I don't know the woman's name. I had never met her before, but she sat down at the table with General Parker, his wife, and myself, and she brought up uh, what you're talking about. She wanted to have a discussion about the economics of slavery. Well, I understand perfectly that there was an economic side to it, but when intellectuals get in a room to me and they want to talk about the economics of slavery and refer to where well, everybody's been enslaved, the Italians, the Jews, the Spanish, everybody's been enslaved. But when you're talking to me, and this is my perspective, perspective on what you just said, a black woman, it is not all economics because if you're walking down the south and and just say 1700s, and there's a law that any white person can, you know, there's no law against any white person doing anything to you at all, then that white person walking over there and abusing you, that is not an economic issue. Uh, so it is not all economics. It is racism. It is hate and a lot of other things that go with it. Now, the planners, the top 10%, or maybe in our case, some cases, the top 2%, for them, 
it is economics and racism at the same time. Because you have a when they were going into Africa, and you're a historian, and you tell historian historian, you tell me was that all economics? They could they could they didn't have to go that far to get slaves, but they well, did. Well, well, let's look at if. If I can kind of bring it a little bit from, I think, the famous letter of the uh, the Willie Lynch letter. You both are familiar with that concept letter, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, some people say that originally there was secretly a black man really wrote the Willie Lynch letter. And then others said Willie Lynch was actually uh, a white man. And... A little historical note, uh, the former, the the deceased Mayor Daly, when he first started off uh, as a lawyer, his business partner name was Willie Lynch, coincidentally. Uh, but is would you both um, address that? Is there a present-day Willie Lynch syndrome that's going on that we don't know about? That we don't know about? Correct. I, I doubt there's one it. going on that we don't know about because we, we well, African, so. I mean, to the point that you know, if the Willie Lynch letter was in uh, uh, in his uh, theories and his practices was adopted somewhere, I believe, in the year of seventeen mid seventeen hundreds. And again, it was the manual to white uh, uh, slave owners on how to keep the blacks slaves and to a degree to make them like being a slave. Now, we are somewhat pretty astute on the Willie Lynch's, you know, the letters been out, but could there be another syndrome of a Willie Lynch style? That we're not really aware of, just as the blacks in the uh, that were slaves in the fifteen, sixteen hundreds, they weren't aware of all the the tools that was used to keep them in slavery from uh, separation of the different uh, languages, separation of families, uh, the degrading of men in front of women. Um, so that was the physical slavery along with some mental um um uh, things going on. Could the same could there be something else today that we're not aware of that's similar to the Willie Lynch? If there are uh, uh white men sitting in boardrooms planning and, and strategizing. Well, like I was trying to uh say earlier about the book that I had read by Michelle Alexander uh-huh. And she she speaks to that, and and when she talks about this caste system, every time we get rid of one, uh, these these wealth plantation owners have to institute a new uh, caste system. And can you give an example slavery. of one of them? Well, yeah, I'm gonna get right into it. Well, it started with slavery, and a, a guy named uh, Nathaniel Bacon was uh, tried to uh, bring. Of blacks and, and white slaves and indigenous servants and poor whites together to rise up against the plantation owners, and they they failed in that. So what they did was, in order to keep them from coming together to rise up against them again, they started this caste system where 
they kept the poor whites, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, against the blacks. What they did was they made them overseers and gave them just a little bit more than they did the blacks. So we've been doing this all along. And then when slavery was ended, then they started with the Jim Crow to try to keep control of a certain class of people. And when Jim Crow ended with uh, the Civil Rights Movement, see, they had to come up with a new system because it's all about wealth because they didn't have free labor anymore. You know, they didn't have some type of control to keep blacks under their under their thumb. So what happened in the, the early 80s was this war on, drug, war on drugs, the so-called war on drugs, that was instituted by the Reagan administration and the Republican Party. Because at the time they came out with this war on drugs, drugs wasn't even a problem. And matter of fact, crime was down at the time. So they started this war on drugs, and it had uh, discriminatory ramifications to it because they talked about crack cocaine, and crack cocaine hadn't even hit the streets yet. And then they had the disparity in the sensing laws, you know, between crack cocaine and powder cocaine and mandatory uh, arrests and mandatory uh, sensing for differences in who they can who they can prosecute, who they won't prosecute, who they sentence. Uh, even if a black person was to kill a white person, they're more likely to get the death penalty by the prosecutors mm-hmm. nowadays. But if the situation was reversed, you know, that white person would get off. Or if a black person killed another black person, you know, it's like it was irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So. so what do you think that is happening that a majority of, well, I'm going to say that the the majority are aware of what you just stated, but what do you think that is happening right now, presently, um, systematically, that is influencing the the degrading of black economic progress? Well, it's due to the fact that we have it's, decreased. It's the same. It's the same uh, principles. It's so-called war on drugs, and it's still in in effect today. Because before they started that, there was only like three hundred thousand people in prisons across the United States. Okay. In the late seventies, early eighties, it was like three hundred, a little less than four hundred thousand people. Now you have over two million people within our penal institutions. Okay. Well, you know, I've seen, um, uh, matter of fact, uh, the movie The Godfather, uh, the first Godfather. Just like most people, just seen that movie over and over and over again. Uh, when I've seen it, when it first came out in nineteen seventy one. Uh, it did not take me until probably 19, ooh, I don't know, maybe my, 1974 to realize that in the first Godfather movie, after they would start uh, killing each other and everything, and the Godfather told them that uh, they're killing each other over drugs and that he's not going to play no part of it because he right. stated that drugs will destroy a family they will destroy a community and right. if you you got to sell drugs you sell them to the, the i don't use the term but he says to use them to the uh, sell them to the niggas sell them to the wetbacks or whatever he called uh, hispanics and so that was the agreement uh based on the book the godfather in the 1940s and then actually i seen godfather three um, many times, uh, but maybe about a month and a half ago, I seen it again. He referred to drugs as it relates to blacks again. Now, there's many theories regarding drugs, and not theories, but actual uh, truths 
even to the point that the drugs was used to help demise the Black Panther Party. Um, is with drugs, is there anything else that's being that you can foresee based on the book that is, um, I guess, planted in the black community? And I just want to backtrack to say that New York, Chicago, maybe Peoria, Oakland, San Diego, San Francisco, all of these cities around the country, as it comes to the black community, are at the same disadvantage. So is there anything else other than drugs that you can foresee that is influencing us to, um, I guess, not be in parity with the economics of our community? Uh, other than the war on drugs and this so-called uh, platform that uh, it's not just uh, the Republicans now, you know, the Democrats have hopped on board with the two. They, they run off of law and order. You know? Okay. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's a term they use. To, as long as they don't say the, the term blacks or, 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 or any uh use words that's associated with any protected class, they use uh, cold words, you know, like law and order. And the first thing you say when you say a thug or you say a criminal or you say a drug dealer, the first thing that comes to mind is, is a, a black man on the street corner, you know, selling crack. When they find out that uh, whites are just as likely or even more likely to be drug dealers, you know, mm-hmm. and sell more drugs, even though it's more of us that's locked up. So when when they run on that platform and we got black politicians, we got the Democratic Party, uh, Clinton was the first one to start this, you know, with the law and order and these mandatory sentences and stuff. And uh, uh, you got another politician, well, I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to be tougher than that. We're going to have more stringent laws. And next thing you know, they're getting rid of our men out of our communities, you know, and then our, our, our women are raising kids without fathers. You know, and then you wonder why our kids are acting like they're acting and our school districts are acting like they're acting or, or what's happening with our school districts and the money's not there. And you got people living on the outskirts of town, but they're getting voted in the office and they're making all the decisions for everybody that's inside of town. You know. And, yeah, well, let me ask you this it. here. Okay, now you was at the, through the whole summit on Saturday, is that correct? You sat through the whole correct. session? Okay, yeah. I had to leave uh, about 430 um, and you was at the uh, Sunday breakfast, uh, uh, prayer breakfast that following day. Uh-huh. There was a young man at the prayer breakfast that was very critical on a generational uh, class of people. He talked about the generation of blacks, 25 to uh, 45, where he stressed mm-hmm. that there's a whole different meaner of outlook there is a major uh, generational gap or movement gap. How does that reflect to the workshop that was at the summit? Is there any relationship to the two of what was discussed at the summit and what was discussed that at that prayer breakfast? Is there any difference or is it basically the same message coming from that youth generation? Well, um, the youth had, had reached out to us the day before, and that ge- that gentleman that spoke out, he kind of spoke out of turn because he came late that day and he left early, so he didn't know exactly what all happened. Okay, what are you referring but, to when you say that gentleman? 
the gentleman that you spoke of that was uh, Mr. West at, on the uh, at, right. the, at the uh, breakfast uh, at uh, the Sunday breakfast. breakfast. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what happened was uh, there was a resolution that was made to form a youth Black Wall Street and bring in our younger generation so they can take over the reins as we pass them on to them. They can pass, we can pass a baton to them and they can keep the message, you know, and they can keep the dream alive. So, but you. They definitely have to work in conjunction with us because, you know, it, it, it's it's been stated over and over again. If if you don't remember your history, you, you, you're doomed to repeat it. So the the young that are coming up now, they don't know some of the things that we had to go through to get to where we are today. They don't they don't know anything about the dogs that were sicked on us by police officers, the beatings that we went through, you know, just to be able to get a job, to work for city government, stuff like that, or just to be able to go to school. You know, they they're not familiar with the things that we had to go through back in the '60s and the '50s and the, and late '60s. They they don't remember those things, and and they couldn't because they wasn't here. But um, mm-hmm. we got to make sure that they don't forget where we came from, so that they don't put us back in that position ever again. So what is the um, the 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 youth? What is it called? The Black Wall Street Youth or the Youth of Black Wall Street? Did they identify what they would call themselves? Uh, Sonia, do you remember exactly the way it was worded? No, I don't. I wasn't in the assembly at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, there is one thing I'd like to say. Greg Mathis, who was one of our sponsors from Tribe Origination, he headed up that portion of the uh, right. summit uh, with about uh, four or five young people. And, uh, and I wish I had her name here, one of the young women. Uh, was designated, and she's in that age group. Uh, I think I was Demetrius. Um, not Denise. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll try to catch the name. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, she was designated to be the head of the Black Wall Street Youth Division, and uh, she stepped up to take that lead. And we hope we need to get in contact her, with her this week and follow through with that. And I think that Greg Mathis is going to be working with her. Now, mm-hmm. uh, as far as the youth agenda. Uh, I agree with what you're saying, General Parker. Yes, they they are not aware of the history, and they're not uh, living their lives through the history. They have concerns that are upfront and most important to them today. And going back to one of the questions that Ron asked, uh, I think one of one of the most important things, and it ties into everything that you said, General, uh, that is going on, and that, for me, in my view, would take decades to uh, correct is the uh, relationship to the the young black man to the young black woman and their relationships. Uh, one thing that one thing that is happening to the uh, young black male is that because of the our rate of what they call out of wedlock pregnancies, uh, that the burden and, and rightly so of child support is being placed on young men at a tremendous amount, and I say this should not. But in the most formative years, financially formative years, for a young man and a young woman too, uh, this young man between the ages of, say, 18 if he's working, uh, to 40 is going to pay child support and probably to more than one woman in some cases, okay? Now, what should be the most financially uh period of growth for that young man is now not going to be that because 
because of the child support, he's barely going to be able to support himself if he can have a job, if he's not in jail, uh, or if he's trying to go to school, if he's getting student loans and child support. So from this age group, from 18 to 40, which he should be building financial wealth or learning to build financial wealth, he will not be doing it, which will be affecting him in his later life. This whole group of young men are not going to be financially stable ever in their life because that time period where they should have been should have been building financial wealth is now depleted. Now not only are they depleted financially, they are now being attacked legally and I'm not saying not rightly so by the court system, by design. Because now if you don't pay your child support, you can't even drive a car, there are so many positions that you cannot hold within the state of Illinois or other state jobs because you are behind with your child support. Um, so now, are all this contributing to, is, are you still saying there's a group of white men sitting in the boardroom making decisions that affect the laws and to affect the economic instability specifically toward the black community? Absolutely, because when you take away a job... Can you name any of those white men in the board wounds? You want me to name one? Yeah, I'll name yeah, one for name you. Name one. Name one. I'll name one for you. Uh, Circuit City. That's a whole bunch of white men right there. Circuit City took the case to the Supreme Court, and this is this is not on the same thing about the child support, but... I'm a, I'm Circuit City, City, the uh, what's that? The uh, uh, the electronic I'm, I'm, store. Yes, I'll, I'll tell you about that. But let's, let, me, <laughs> let me let me conclude this about the child support. Okay. When child, how did child support get related to having a job with the state? It's not related. It's not related at all. It's a financial issue between a man and a woman that the state has taken control of, and used it as a tool against black men. Now, let's go back to Circuit City. I've said this before. i say it again. Circuit, Circuit City went all the way to the Supreme Court with the case to arbitrate civil rights discrimination case, racial, racial discrimination cases on the job to arbitrate those. They, If you sign an employment agreement, you and I have both been self-employed for so long, that we have, we're not signing employment agreements. But if you go and sign an employment agreement now, because of the case of Circuit City that was decided by Justice Kennedy, you can now have your racial discrimination case arbitrated if you sign that agreement. You can no longer go to court. You no longer have the right to a, a jury. The corporation and you go to arbitration. Most of the arbitration, arbitrators in the United States are white males. So now you have corporate America sitting there with you arbitrating racial discrimination cases, and the EEOC can do nothing about it because the EEOC took it back to the Supreme Court, and they were shut down. So, yes, there is a plan. There is a plan against us, and it is by design. We don't see the effects of this yet, but you will see the effects of it. As it was difficult enough to get a racial discrimination case against a corporation like Circuit City. Now it is almost 
impossible. Yes, that is by design. Justice Kennedy made that ruling. I read the ruling because I went to court on something like this. I read his ruling. It was garbage. EOC came back and tried to repeal it. They could not get it through. Yes, it is by design. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, maybe, uh, Mr. Parker, you can add on. Uh, Sonia, you just uh, uh, published a book. And what's the name of it again? I'm sorry. Black America Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. Okay, asking ourselves the tough questions, and uh, I did uh, notice some of those tough questions. Is a tough question in your book related to this conversation? It most certainly is. Can the you one pinpoint I, it right the, now? The example I just used with the uh, can a white male arbitrate, fairly arbitrate, a racial discrimination case. Oh, that's in the book? It most certainly is. Can a mm. white male, most most arbitrators in America are white males, can they fairly arbitrate a racial discrimination case? Ooh. I'm asking question. you, Ron. <laughs> Tough question. I, I, I would like to try to be fair. I can't even be think about being fair with a question like that. Uh, I would think if they're in their good golly sense of man love love your brother regardless of their race that they could. And to to add to that, see in a court. You have a right to appeal in an arbitration. If you don't agree with that decision, you have no right of appeal. The door is shut on you. And let me tell you this. Corporations, if they pay for the arbitration, you don't have to pay for it. Therefore, guess what? They can choose the arbitration company. Now, think about it. If that company is constantly uh, siding against them, judging against them, if they're losing those cases, don't you think they'll change their arbitration company? What do you think? It almost yeah, avoids the Civil Rights Act of 1966 where we have the right to go to trial under racial discrimination cases. We no longer even have the right. Now, if you want a job, yes, that is one of the tough questions. I got I got 80 of them, though, so that's just the <laughs> <laughs> right. now, now, wouldn't you all say that as this, the way our show tonight is progressing, isn't there some good white people out there? What are you all talking about here? I never said it wasn't any good white people because if it was not for good white folks, uh, we might still be in slavery. At least that's my sister keeps constantly telling me that. Uh, we well, may that's have been not saying that much for white people now, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> without, without, as my sister keeps reminding me, without white people, we may still be in slavery. So, uh, no, I don't. I don't think. <laughs> Well, I can almost agree with that. You know, they, there were some assistance there. There were some assistance, and there's still some assistance. Right? Okay, I work okay. for a lot of corporations, a lot of corporations, where when I walk in, I didn't see any blacks, or one or two. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that I've learned to do, white people taught me how to do it. So, they, you know, people have been very giving and supportive. So, yeah, there there are good white people. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> of course there are, and... um. Just like, uh, you know, Dr. King even said, you know, even the people that were uh, railing up against uh, civil rights back then, you know, uh, they, they weren't so much bad people, you know. Uh, they were just uh, 
people who were afraid of of, of change and, and, and they were protecting what was theirs, you know, and we would probably do the same thing. And there's definitely good white people out there, but to make the changes that we need, we're we going to need extraordinary white people to help us mm-hmm. because uh, um, the, we're going up against, uh, we're going up against power. We're going up against money. Uh, we're going up against the system. We're even going up against some blacks who 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 who've made it and, and and gotten to be successful, and they don't want things to change either because they look at themselves as being elitist and and being above the fray, you know. But uh, that doesn't like mean who? what's going on is not is like not who? wrong. Like who? Well, I, I, if I just finish what I was saying at first, uh, <laughs> you know, even through slavery, you know, uh, sometimes sometimes you, you find white people say, well. Well, uh, uh, we need to take this on an individual basis because look at so-and-so. They may look at Bill Cosby. He made it. Well, look at Barack Obama. You can't say racism exists because uh, uh, we got a black president now. But all throughout history, you know, even when we had slavery, there were still blacks that did well. As a matter of fact, that's how the system survives, you know, because they say, well, they can't say we're that way because we allowed this black person to be successful and we allowed that black person to be successful. But since you brought it up, I, I'll say Bill Cosby's one of you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the ones who 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 successful now, and he, he looks back instead of, uh, uh, well, I, I don't like talking about people, but I, I'm just not happy with some of the comments. Well, there is a, like. I guess that there's not a, a sense of talking about people, but what I'm getting at is that as we, Look at people of influence. Uh, I can even say I have uh, interviewed entertainers, being a newspaper reporter, and I asked them the question, with their influence in society and with their status of money, and they, at one point, idols of many, that they would use that status to be able to influence the greater good of the black community. And many of them, matter of fact, there was a program on a public broadcasting uh, station about black, from black entertainers, and they actually stated that they would be locked out of the system if they get too black. And, I mean, this is statements came from, uh, oh, I can't, uh, Don Cheatham for one, uh, he was interviewed, and as good of an actor as he is, and the major roles that he played, and how much demand he in, he still states that he is not allowed to be black because it will lock him out of the industry. So how do we overcome that? Do we save those? I mean, I'm not, and then I have to be on the side with you as it relates to uh be a Crosby. I mean, there's really no excuse based on the the status quo that he have in the uh, in the country in the world. But for others, how do we free them, or do they free themselves, or do they go through the sacrifices, or do they stay in the system? How do we balance this? Well, the, the first way we balance this is. I think uh, Mr. Johnson was, was on the way, but he he got deterred uh, on that path. Mr. Johnson, which Mr. Johnson? Uh, from Johnson Products. Okay. 
um, it, when we start having that wealth and, and we own our own communications, we own our own banks, we own our own system, we got our own Hollywood, you know, then those folks don't have to parlay up to uh, what Hollywood's vision of what they think black folks should be. Well, I guess they really did us a number, if I can. They really did us a number because, as you mentioned, that the uh, Hispanic population is very multi in the media and televisions. I think here in Chicago, uh, I flick on the television local station, they have maybe about 10 doggone stations that's programmed by Hispanics opposed to blacks in Chicago don't have one. (laughs) So I guess they have seen the vision or we actually, were they, were these white guys sitting in these boardrooms, were they just planning, planning uh, against blacks or they forgot about the Hispanics? What happened here? Well, it's just like when we spoke earlier and you said they they had representation in Hispanic districts, you know, for the plan 2040. Correct. Uh, that's yeah. what I was saying earlier. You you, you got to make sure your political arm is doing their job. And uh, our political arm there in Chicago obviously haven't been doing their job, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, they would have made sure that we were included and were a part of the plan. And I spoke about that uh, in the presentation. I said, whatever that driving force, whatever the financial engine is that drives your area, you got to become a part of that, you know, like it's just like a tree because if you get out there on your own limb, they'll cut you off every time and, and you're going to weather up and die. But if you get in the trunk of the tree, become a part of the tree, the mainstream of the tree, then they'd have to cut their own stuff down to cut you off, see. Mm-hmm. So well, let me ask you, uh, got well, in there and became part of the tree, see, right. and they're growing with the plant. You know, and they got their own TV stations. They got the, these other things that are coming up with 2040 and, and, and all the things you're talking about. But we didn't. So. Okay. Uh, um, uh, Mr. Parker, we have a, a caller on the line. Uh, Sonia, who is our caller? You listen to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter. I'm Sonia Purdue. Let's go to the first caller in area code 773, last four digits, 5432. Welcome to Black Wall Street USA. You're on the air. Call state your name. You know who this is, Sonia. This is Hussein Hill. How you doing? <laughs> doing good, Hussein. How are you doing? How are you, Hussein? I'm doing fine, Ron. How are you? And to oh. your guests as well. Uh, you right. covered so many Where are you calling from, Hussein? Chicago, Bronzeville. All right. Here. Very good. Okay. Uh, you've covered so many different areas from the time I called in originally. Uh, but there's just some important things I, I just feel I have to amplify on because I'm not sure people will hear it any other place. So I'll uh, take a minute or two and backtrack. Okay. Uh, when you talked to, when the, your guest talked about drugs, you left out an important point, and that is, and it's going to get a little deep, so you're going to have to follow the rabbit hole a little bit. Um, that's why I should start back is people don't know how deep this whole game goes. Uh, I want to take it all the way back, but I'll take it back to the 80s. And there was a time, and people can research this, you can do a simple Google search, you can go to Wikipedia, if you want to do some further study, you can really use the internet and get as deep down this rabbit hole as you really want to get into. But, I'm not sure the average person knows that during the Iran-Contra affair, there were people like Ali North, and that at that time, the director of the CIA, who had a deal 
that sold drugs to the gang members in L.A. At the yeah, same I remember time, that story very well. At the same time, Nancy Reagan, the wife of the president, the first lady, was running around telling people, say no to drugs. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And why they were selling the drugs to the gang members in L.A. was so they can fund the contracts in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. So, and, but it gets deeper than that. During the same time period, you have to do a little bit of research about this, and I, if I had known we were going to talk about this, I could have gave you all the websites that go with this. But what's really dangerous and what people really don't know is that when Ali North was being uh, grilled by the Senate, he told them, well, are you sure you want to discuss this in open, open form? And they got the senators to go behind closed doors. And what <laughs> he didn't want to say in open form, was the real reason for FEMA, which has nothing to do with what it is today. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. The real reason for FEMA is so that when you Negroes decide to uprise, that they'll have a system for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. The system was devised back in the late 60s, early 70s, when we had the riots in Detroit and Chicago and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, with that in mind, um, would you go back to, as we stated earlier, and then we want to go to our next caller, that there are white men sitting in boardrooms planning this whole strategic plan on black people? Ah, uh, see, but that's that's the whole thing, right? And this is this is where the, the mental trap comes in, and I fall in it every single day myself. We keep thinking of it in terms of black people because we're black. Okay, mm-hmm. you can say, well, that makes logical sense, right? Yeah, right. but that's that's part of the trap, though. It's not just for black people. It's not just to ensnare Hispanics or Latinos, because you know, Hispanics doesn't exist. Not Latinos and Latinas. It's mm-hmm. not just to ensnare people who are Asian descent. It is a power struggle between forces that are beyond the things that we normally think about. It's a bigger picture argument. Arguably the forces of light versus the forces of dark. And it's manifests itself in human beings. What do you mean forces of light and forces of dark? It's the game that, that what what's at stake is not just the enslavement of black people or the enslavement of people of color. It's 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 a battle that plays itself out not just on this planet, arguably and other throughout a larger entity Throughout the cosmos, it's a bigger picture thing. But we see it because we we see it in terms of white and black. We see it in these simplistic terms because it's such a big picture that our brains can't get around it like that. Well, you use the term uh, black and to, to white to emphasize the the intensity of beyond our comprehension, per se, uh, that is beyond this planet. Uh, how do we relate that, or do we relate that to this about capitalism? And what I'm hearing oh, oh, you say is beyond okay. what even capitalism is the driving force of the United States. As that's just a tool. Uh, it's it's about world domination. Arguably, uh, there is life. 
outside of the world, if necessary, Extra, extraterrestrial, extrastellar, uh, universal domination, if necessary. It's a bigger picture thing. But on, but by getting to this planet and getting to the things that people... Well, that's people another say. show that I would love to get into with you. I'll, just, I'll, answer, sure. I'll, answer, I'll answer, I'll answer, I'll give you a name, since you want a name, a concrete thing. Have people do research on the Bilderberger Group. You can start there. Okay, that's okay. a concrete organization, entity that has its hands on a master plan to dominate people, period, <laughs> this entire okay. country. You're saying and I definitely would like, I think your your concept, uh, I definitely would like to get into that. And we. I think, Sonia, we need to schedule a show with uh, you, son, on that subject. That is, um, I guess we look at the, the surface of things, but if... Um, I would like for you to prove your, your, your. If you want to call, it, if it's fair for me to call it a theory or a conspiracy, or um, a godly uh, manifestation of where we at, I'm not for sure how we label what you just stated. Uh, but uh, Sonia, can we schedule this? And we still want to relate it to, if possible, how to sustain and increase black businesses. Would you think that that can work, you say? Uh, how does this thing increase black business? That's that's going to be a little difficult for me to filter it down to to that part. But um, I'm willing to, you know, and available to discuss, you know, anything at any time. I mean, that. Okay. I, if right. I'm blessed. Well, hold on. Will you? Uh, we want to uh, bring on another caller. If we, if they're still here, Sonia. Yes, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network dot com, and uh, we're all over the board today. We were recapping the summit, which is great, General Parker. But it took us all over the universe. Okay, all all the way. we're uh, on the line with General Parker, the chair of uh, Black Wall Street Peoria, Hussein Hill, who was one of our caterers who's from the Bronzeville area, Ladiva's Catering. Uh, just quickly, uh, Hussein, we want to thank you for your service, you and Rochelle. We really want to thank you for reaching out. Tell us, tell our listeners how they can contact you, and then we'll go to the next caller. Oh, oh thank you so much. Uh, you can go on the Internet, www.le. D I V is in victory as dot com. Uh, you can see the website there. It's an online menu. It's a party planner there. Telephone numbers there. If you have any questions, give us a call. Send us an email. We'll get back to you. Uh, you'll see a badge there we got recently for one year of outstanding customer service, and we're really proud of that. And I handle that part, so please reach out to me. Okay, very good. Thank you for joining us, Hussein. We appreciate it. Just hang on. And we're uh, we're going to go to our next caller out of area code 312, last four digits, 8147. You're on the line with Black Wall Street USA. Please state who you are. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Harold Arnold with American Investor Realty. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Harold? Okay. You're calling from Chicago, is that correct? Call, calling from Chicago. Uh, okay. Just involved in some showings, listening to your program on the way home. Uh, I'm hoping I'm not making too much noise in this car uh, while I'm driving. But uh, I was hearing some things. I said, let me chime in real quick, uh, you know, related to um, 
black businesses. Uh, I believe that um, you have to uh, start with development, education, and training. That's where you have to start with uh, as far as black businesses and um, and getting people ready to uh, 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 enter the business world. Uh, the other thing um, is real estate because you got to have real estate. You got to have a location where you're going to have the black business. Uh, then you have to have a, a type of black business that you're going to have people be involved in uh, and what you're going to showcase. And four, uh, from the black businesses, no matter how large or small they are, they're going to create jobs. And even if uh, someone is working for themselves, that's a job that uh, basically they're self-employed. So well, um, um, if, if they if they have the business somewhere and they can hire two or three or four more people, that's two or three people that are uh, now working that weren't working before. So these are well, things I believe are very necessary. Uh, how do you actually look at uh, projecting that? I, understand, I hear what you're saying based on these mm -hmm. things that need to be done. Mm -hmm. What do you foresee some of the initiatives that have to take place and by actually who have to initiate them, for example, here in Chicago. When I say who, what uh, source? Is it a particular organization, a particular um, government agency, or business people think, that I you think, see? Mm -hmm. uh, Ron, I think it's a variety of sources. For example, uh, you have Urban League here. Okay, Some cities don't have a strong chapter. You have a pretty strong chapter, it's my understanding, here in Chicago. Uh, you also have a school system that I know sometimes it may be difficult to get some things going, but I think if if the businessmen uh, and ladies would uh, push uh, for some training programs and this kind of thing, especially for the types of business that they're they're into on the small business scale, that will help. Or small business can take it on themselves to work with high schools. Uh, to have some students after school uh, work with them and get some training and have that part of the curriculum. So well, as we right now, I was asking yeah. you the question of who, but you know, as you know, you've been to um, summits of Black Wall Street before, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I, so, I've been to one, two summits. Okay, yeah. so the idea is we do stress on resolutions when we discuss uh -huh. issues, and I believe that you definitely address those resolutions. But what, uh, and you kind of hinted in when you talked about the Urban League and its role, but can you put some type of time frame on how soon certain things have to take place, given our earlier conversations uh, regarding this um Hmm. Maybe we got to come up with something better term, but the the white men sitting in the boardroom is a certain time frame of implementation that you see we have to take place, given all the other issues that we addressed earlier in the program. Well, I didn't hear your entire program, so I can't. Okay. Well, we talked about we did talk about many issues, even as it relates to slavery and the Willie Lynch letter as it relates to uh, the, uh, the 
the the issues regarding uh, the black community all the way as we talked about the drugs and the right. regenerification. We speak that we spoke a lot about a lot of those. But as you talked about resolutions, how in what time frame you think that certain things need to be in place and being in the real estate business yourself, uh, based on the market, what can you foresee where we need to be and where we got to be? Well by a certain well, time frame. Well we need to be there within the next year. But we're not. But I don't see us getting there in the next year. Okay. I why you say the next I year? Think, we need to be there in the next year. Why? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm saying that because uh, we really need to to be there now. Okay. And that's. I guess that's what I'm saying. But I believe that it's uh, it's going to be a three to five year period. If I'm going to be realistic, uh, because you're dealing with an economy that is slowly coming back. Uh, and it has some issues. You're dealing with some issues in the in the black community that um, uh, are affected by uh, people that have a lack of education or lack of training, and it takes time to do that. Uh, you got you have to get your um, aldermen and uh, especially the aldermen involved because I think a lot of your aldermen have to step up much more than what they are now, and uh, you're talking about history, because I, uh, I I look at history going back where there were not even, there were very few black politicians, and it seems like we have more more problems now, and we have more black politicians. You know, years before, we didn't have black politicians. You do I know I'm a candidate for Alderman of the 17th Ward, don't you? Especially in the major cities. You know, yes. and, and I and I have to say this, Ron. Only thing I can say to you, you know, I'm not from Chicago. Okay, I've been here four years, but I am from uh, originally from Cleveland, Ohio. And being from Cleveland, I remember the days when there were very few black politicians there, and the first black mayor came out of Cleveland. Okay, along right. with Richard, H- or along with Richard Hatcher of Gary, Indiana. Carl Correct. Stokes and Richard Hatcher right. were elected the same night. Okay. okay. So, and they were the first. Mm-hmm. And other than small towns, did you have uh, black mayors? Then after they came, then you had more black mayors in a lot of segments of the political uh, uh, situations that we have here in the United States. Uh, we have more black. Aldermen, we had more black councilmen in Cleveland, Ohio. I saw this, but things were going down, and I'm not putting it all on the black aldermen and black councilmen. Believe me, I'm not. But on the other end, if things are moving slowly, then they have to step up the pace and put more energy behind it in order to to deal with some of the, the real problems that they have. And one of the real problems I've seen in Chicago is the fact that our that the youngsters are not being properly developed. And everybody doesn't have to go to college to be developed, okay? You can start with them by uh, sending some kid, uh, youngsters in the restaurants, into, and we have restaurants. We have black restaurants. And there should be youngsters in those restaurants learning 
about how to run that business? Well, we okay. talked, I don't know if you was uh, listening in on us earlier yeah. when we were speaking about okay. the uh, the youth. Uh, did you hear that part earlier? No, no, I didn't. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah we, again, as you came on, we talked about a, a vast amount of, um, of, of issues that contribute mm-hmm. to our lack of black business. Now, you being in the real estate industry. Um, but I haven't, I haven't only been in real estate. I'm going to tell you this. My background's in education. Okay. You heard me say I'm from Cleveland. I retired from Cleveland. I was a, a teacher, principal. I was an elementary school principal for nine mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. I was an elementary school teacher for eight years, and I was a central office administrator there. So mm-hmm. uh, I have a, a, quite a... Uh, a background about what it takes for development of children and youngsters at all levels. Mm-hmm. But and I do know that one of the biggest pieces that we're missing in with black businesses is getting our youngsters zeroed in, focused and trained in how to work in a business. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to work as a manager and this kind of thing. They, if they're around someone, if you put them in the proper environment, I know this about kids, kids, you put them in their environment, they will soak up whatever is in that environment like a sponge. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if you have them in a, in a business that does uh, construction, they'll learn how to do construction. Okay? And you'll show them some things, and then they'll take off, and they'll be able to do some things, and they'll learn some things that get interested and so forth, and it'll affect their It'll affect their academics in school because in in construction you got to know how to measure and uh, uh, you know you know have to know how to build things and you see things in a totally different perspective. So this is, I would say, if anything, and, and to answer your question, I know I went went on for a while, but to narrow it down, I would okay. say if if anything to expand black business in Chicago. Get your youth involved. Right. You are at the, at right. the uh, okay. Well, uh, you know, we definitely had and get them involved at an early age. Right. Well, we definitely school. started that. Yeah, we got another caller. I'm gonna cut you because yeah. we're running out of time here. That's but okay. we definitely had a a a panel on youth, and we did address that earlier. And we're mm-hmm. gonna have to find a way to get you abreast to see which direction we're going in. Uh, Sonia, you said we have another caller on the line. Yes, we do, Ron. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, uh, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and I'm Sonia Perdue. We want to go to the uh, next caller. Please stay on the line with us. But before we do, we want to make a couple of announcements, Ron. First of all, we want to uh, thank everyone for joining us for the uh, first Black Wall Street National Convention and Summit, and we want to reach out to Reverend Al Sampson and thank him for being a part of that. Uh, also, Attorney Thomas Todd was there on Saturday. We appreciate him being there. Uh, we want to thank all of our sponsors who were involved with us. Now, also, uh, that evening, Ron, before they died, Miss Jeanette, Jeanette Bradshaw, who was one of uh, the Tulsa Race Lab survivors, was there that evening. And also, Jay Denise Clement, we want to appreciate everything that she did, and uh, we're going to work on some more things with her, uh, who was the producer of the film uh, Before They Die, it's a documentary, Before They Die on the uh, Tulsa Race Riot. 
Now, also, we want to thank everybody for being at the National Prayer Breakfast. Reverend Al Sampson led us that morning, and uh, Chicago Southwest Hotel is a very nice place. Uh, Restaurant L26, we definitely need to reach out to them. Uh, It's a new venue uh, within that hotel. We definitely need to reach out to them and give uh, them our support. We want to thank you, Harold Arnold, for being a part of this summit. We want to get together with you and do some additional things with you. We do appreciate you taking the time to call in and being part of everything that we do and coming out on uh, Friday evening and on Saturday. Didn't see you at the prayer breakfast. We still, we still appreciate you, Harold, and we want to reach out and do some more things with you. You want your time and your energy and your input and your experience will not be forgotten. I just want to share that with you, okay? Now, okay, uh, thank you. You're so welcome. General Parker, we want to thank you for being a part of what we do, too, before we go to the next caller and make these announcements. Hope to see you real soon. When you come up to Chicago, please stop by, General Parker, and tell All your right. wife who is powerful in herself that we appreciate her also. You have a good I evening. I will do. You too. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Also, we want to announce, Ron, that uh, the International Marcus Garvey Holiday Celebration and Parade is next Saturday. I'm going to go on over there to that parade. Uh, oh, yeah, Saturday, that is August, a highlight for us. That's a highlight. Saturday, August 28th, assembly is at 8 a.m. They start marching at 9.30 a.m. Uh, parade route, 76th and Cottage Grove to 79th and Cottage. Uh, they go down 79th Street. They come all the way back around, down 75th Street. They come all the way back to 7600 South Cottage. If you'd like more information, please call 773-846-3091, 773-846-3091 to be a part of that event. I hope to see you out there on the Black Wall Street, 75th Street District. Also, I wanted to announce that thank Mark Allen for all of his efforts and all of the help that he put in with this summit. He's called us to... He he has called us to join together again on Saturday, September 4th, and that's going to be our official recap. Uh, He made that announcement out there Saturday night for all of the people who want to come back and have a discussion. We don't want to go all the way to November. The next summit is November 20th. We want there's a lot of things to be done during the interim, a lot of things to be followed up on, and we can't do it in this two-hour period here, although we've touched on some of the things and some of the same topics that we've covered before. But we want to move forth with some of the agendas that took place at the summit on the 13th. Uh, you're also quiet over there, Ron. Are you still with us? Oh, I'm still with you. I'm getting it. Regardless of me being involved with it, I am renewed based on hearing the announcements that you're giving. I'm taking notes, believe me. Oh, is that what you're doing? You're taking notes? I'm taking notes because we got so much going on with Black Wall Street. Again, after having a summit, the, uh, the work, stars all over again to a certain degree of the follow-up. So, uh, and again, this coming Saturday with the Marcus Garvey Parade down 75th Street, it's very important that we do support this effort, uh, that we show that we are proud of these black businesses on 75th Street and that we do business with them and we let them know that uh, Chicago uh, is proud of their longevity uh, throughout the years to have 90% of this business strip uh, of black businesses. That's a rarity. 
Uh, and so we're starting off on 75th Street, and naturally we're going to take it to the other Black Wall Street districts as well. But, yes, do come on out. Uh, make your presence known. Go into those businesses and shake some hands and let them know that we are definitely proud and we are very supportive of them at the same time. That's great. And also be sure to come by on September 4th. Now, we also want you to know that Black Wall Street uh, holds a weekly committee meeting every Thursday at 8.30 a.m. at the offices of South Street Journal located at 449 East 35th Street. These meetings are open to the public. We just request that you give us a call at 312-624-8351 and RSVP. Now, we have about 10 minutes left, Ron. Uh, let's go to this last caller, and then we'll close out the show. Caller okay. 708, area code. You're on the line. Stay who you are, please. Hi, Sonia. This is Boise. Boise, how are you, how sir? Are you? Yeah, yeah. Hussein is still there? No, he's he's left the air. Left the air, okay. Yeah, how's everybody doing? We're doing great. What about yourself? Oh, uh, well, I had better days. Yeah? Uh, yeah, but uh, I've been listening to the program, um, and uh, I wish I had was able to have attended that Black Wall Street Summit, but I had I had health issues. Okay. Uh, serious ones. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to at least tune in tonight to tell Sonia hello. Uh, I did get her emails. Uh, thanks for that for that one uh, that uh, uh, dial by call thing again. Personally, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That's something I could definitely use. So I just wanted to let her know about that. Um, I appreciate it, boys. I appreciate yeah. it very much. Yeah, sorry, we sorry that you couldn't make it. Um, we sure would have loved for you to be a part of that. Um, uh, just before I get into the reason why I couldn't make it, uh, I thought this would be, I don't know, um, I'm not changing the subject or anything. Um, I have uh, serious health issues. Uh, I've just been diagnosed with advanced stage 4 cancer, head and neck. And that was the reason why I could not make it. Uh, oh, didn't know that, handled, boys. Yeah, my, my case is handled, handled by University of Chicago. I have the best team behind me in Chicago. Great. Uh, and, how are you uh, feeling now? How how is your uh, feeling now? Are you physically feel, feel, or your emotions or are you physically? Physically I feel a little some a little bit weaker than I normally feel, but I'm I'm still sprite. I'm still going to my day job and I'm still uh involved in promotions, playing uh whenever I can. However, that's gonna be cut short a little bit. Uh, and um, because the fact is, is, is that there's going to be times when I go through chemo and radiation on this that I've been told that uh, I will have to take a hiatus, that I will physically not be able to to get into the kind of regular agenda of, as far as playing that I had been before. I'll probably be able to end up making an announcement on my website to many of my supporters okay. on my website uh, before long, um, I don't want to put anything up there now uh, because I think right now it's premature. I, I start okay. chemo. I start chemo September third. Uh, but at any case, um, there, this is an ag- aggressive stage of cancer, which requires an aggressive treatment, um, and um, there is a timeline on this. Um, 
and um, but they're doing everything that they can to be able to um, uh, deal with that. To assist you. Well, let's do this, Boise. Uh, let me give you a call because yes, this this is news to us. You know that uh, Boise is the pianist that we hear his his, his com- compositions all the time on the show, Ron. Correct. So, Boise. Oh, yeah. Let's let's do this, Boise. Let's uh, get together with you this week, and let me give you a call. Okay, uh, I'll be glad to hear And give from you a call tomorrow, and because okay. uh, I sure would like to talk to you. Okay. okay. Right. Okay. okay. Um, and you have because we're okay. we're gonna close out the show now. We have like three minutes okay, left. Okay. No problem. No problem. And we want you to have a peaceful evening. As a matter of fact, we're gonna close out with one of your compositions tenderly. So you hang on the line, okay? Okay. Yeah, Thank we appreciate you, you, brother, very much, Rosalie. Okay, Ron. Uh, what's your final remarks? You got like two minutes, Ron, to close out the show. Well, follow-up is the main key from this Black Wall Street uh, National Summit is follow-up. We got some very intense with the issues that has been stressed today uh even from the the as the universal uh effect on this world on, on the actions and the just the the down earth mom pastor we got some very intense issues that we got to organize the summit is based on resolutions but the summit have to have that formal implementation plan to the next summit, which is going to be uh, November the 20th. So all that we discussed today, uh, some out of frustration, some out of knowledge, our goal is to apply that to implement and to monitor where we are every 30 days through the Black Wall Street. Uh, well, I can go on in that, go go into that more and more, Sonia, because I'm, I'm very concerned about the follow-up and what we implement based on we say the uh, resolutions are. Uh, so I want people to call in to Black Wall Street at area code 312-624-8351 so that we can discuss these issues so that we can network who's doing what and when, and help us plan for the next summit. Uh, Come to our uh, Thursday morning meetings at 8.30, sit down with us, give us some uh, input, and give us some leadership in preparing our youth and also getting that satisfaction ourselves today. Uh, Sonia? Thank you, Ron. we're probably not going to be able to close out with Boise's song this evening. We have one minute left, but we're going to start off with it next week. We want to thank everyone for listening to Black Wall Street USA. Uh, you've been uh, listening to Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, as we did a roundup of the summit um, and then went off into the universe, as Ron wants to do now. Um, <laughs> but, uh <laughs> That's what you and Hussein are going to talk about. What are you trying to say about me, Sonia? Are you are you putting one on the side on me or something? That's okay. That's all right. I won't go we into it. We went all around would. the world. But we, we want to did. thank everyone for being a part of the summer. We thank General, General Parker, uh, the chair of Black Wall Street Peoria, for calling in, taking the time 
out to uh, from Facebook to call in tonight. We appreciate that, General Parker. Also, we want to thank Harold Washington of Invesco uh, Realty for being a part of all that we do. We want to thank, thank one of our caterers, Hussein Hill, who uh, took the time to call in this evening and show his support. We want to thank, thank Boise Queen for music we always love. And I'm not going to forget Mama T. Oh Thank yeah, Mama, Mama T. Yeah, buddy, she keep it live. She keep it live. Yes, Mama <laughs> T. We we haven't forget you. Mama T said she go to five churches on Sunday. She got to go. <laughs> 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 That's the prayer breakfast. Good night, Correct. everyone, and thank thank you for listening to Black Wall Street USA. Have a great evening. <laughs>